Turn in your Bibles, Second Kings chapter number five tonight. Second Kings chapter number five. I'm glad Brother Jim mentioned about Father's Day. Father's Day often goes overlooked, you know, and uh, I think we ought to celebrate Father's Day. And and uh, you ought to call, especially if you're grown and if your daddy's still with you, you ought to call him and just say, Daddy, I love you. I love you. Remind him that you are his child still. And he, because, you know, you never quit being his child. Uh, and he never quits being your daddy. And just for him to feel for a moment, uh, like you're still just a little boy, a little girl. In fact, I'm on, I'm, my plan, I hate, I, don't, I hate to say it because he's sitting right here. He's going to know, but my, I had planned on, um, borrowing my dad's car and driving all the gas out of it and then returning it to him. Uh, just so he felt like <laughs> old times. It's something that never changed. That way he, that way he felt like, you know, I'm just still his little boy, you know, and, uh, I was going to drop it off full of fast food cups and say, hey, can I borrow $100? You know, and uh, so don't, you know, I hate to ruin the surprise, but I, I thought I'd mention it. Second Kings chapter number five tonight. I've got a little thought I want to share. It's on my heart this evening. I trust the Lord will use it to encourage you tonight. This is the story of a man by the name of Naaman. And uh, you have probably read this story if you're a student of the Bible. It's not your first time hearing it. And there's going to be a lot that we could say about this passage that we're not going to take the time to say tonight. Because I want us to focus on a certain perspective as we read it. My pastor used to preach a message uh, when he was a young man on seven ducks in a muddy pond out of this passage. And uh, certainly you could look at this passage and, and see the truth and reality of salvation in it. I'm glad all we have to do is wash and be clean. Amen. And it's not washing in a river's waters, and it's not washing in baptismal waters, and it's certainly not washing in sprinkling waters or uh, dipping waters or whatever you want to call it. It's washed in the blood of Christ. Amen. But uh, tonight I want us to think about this in terms of what this meant in the life of Naaman and what it means in your life and mine, even as saved individuals. Second Kings chapter 5, verse number 1. The Bible says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, an honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. The king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. Now, I don't know how much that is worth. I'm pretty sure it would be worth less today than it was then. Amen. And uh, it says, And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. 
But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and, the, and be clean? Now notice this. So he turned and went away in a rage. He's still a leper. His only hope is to do what the man of God has told him here. But instead he turns and he went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, wash and be clean. Let me just pause there and say every works-based religion is trying to do the exact same thing that Naaman was doing, right? Give me some great thing to do. Can't imagine that Jesus Christ has paid it all. The salvation is free and full and available to all those that will come unto him and receive salvation. No, mankind wants to work for it. But he said the, the command is clear, wash and be clean. When Naaman hears this, the Bible says in verse 14, Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Let's stop there and pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the house of God. Thank you for the people of God, Lord, that we can gather in this place, gain the encouragement that we need for the week that lays ahead of us, Lord. And not just for these few days, but, Lord, you can make life-altering, life-transforming, changing things in our hearts and our minds tonight, decisions and victories that can bring you glory for years to come. And Lord, I pray we'd not underestimate the Wednesday night prayer meeting, but that we'd have our hearts open to the truth of the word of God tonight. May you be glorified in everything that takes place and may we be obedient. Lord, we know if we're obedient, then you'll get glory out of it. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to draw your attention once more tonight to the statement that is made at the end of verse number 12. Now think about this for a moment. This man is a leper. He is dying. Uh, his life is essentially over. He is running out the clock. This is a man who is not laid up in the in, in the lap of luxury. This is not a man who is at ease and, and is comfortable. I would say it this way. This is a man, I, in fact, I don't know that I've ever seen a man that needed a miracle more than Naaman did at this moment in his life. And he's come to the right place. He's come to the prophet of God. Now, it's not about coming to a preacher or an evangelist or any of that to get help. But at this time, Elisha is the voice of God on the earth. And, and God is speaking through him and using Elisha. And so Naaman has come to the right place. He's come to God. He's seeking help. Elisha has made clear that he will heal Naaman, that he will uh, allow him to be saved if he'll only do what God has instructed him to do. And you would think this would be a rather simple equation. In fact, we almost chuckle at it because we read it and think, I mean, why would why would Naaman balk at this? I mean, here's a man that needs a miracle in a bad way. He's got one right there, right at his disposal. And yet the Bible says this in verse number 12, that he turned and went away in a rage. This is a man, we could say this tonight, who almost missed his miracle. He needed God to do something in a big way in his life. And he was right at the cusp of it. And yet he was in peril of just turning and walking away from it. Now, before we get real judgmental about Naaman, it makes me stop and think with a humbled heart. I wonder how many miracles I've walked away from. I wonder how many times God's been about to do something in my life, but because I had some problem with the way he was doing it or what he was doing, because I balked at God's processes, I, I instead just turned around and walked away from what God was seeking to do. I want to preach to you tonight on this thought, missing your miracle.
I want us to notice three things. And we almost see Naaman in sort of three different states when we read this passage of Scripture. In the first portion of this chapter, I'd say this, that we see Naaman seeking God's help. In fact, in the first few verses, he doesn't even know where to get help. But his life is is filled up by this problem that he has that only God can help him with. Have you ever had a problem so big in your life that only God could help you with it? Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, all of us have because we're all born sinners in need of a Savior. But I mean, even after we've been saved and a problem comes along, it could be a health problem, it could be a financial problem, it could be a relationship problem, it could be a problem with our children, it could be any number of things, a problem so big that only God can fix that problem. That's where we see Naaman in the early portion of this chapter. He is a helpless and hopeless individual. He has undoubtedly many problems in his life, but there's really one prevailing thing about him. And we find it in verse number one. The Bible says at the end of this verse that Naaman was a leper. He's a man that has a problem that he cannot fix. What can we notice about this problem? Well, I'd notice three things very quickly. The first thing I'd say about this is his problem was a defining problem. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, notice verse 1 with me. I mean, listen to how the Holy Ghost writes this biography of this man named Naaman. It says, now, Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria. He was an important man. I mean, he's not just a nobody. He is literally the number one general in command of the host of the Syrian army, who, by the way, were at this season one of the chief adversaries of the nation of Israel. There was a time they were a mighty military force, and Naaman, this uh, war, battle-scarred, grizzled individual who had stood on untold numbers of battlefields, who had stared down the enemy and wielded the sword with deafness and courage. He is an important man. He's not a nobody. He's a man that has everything, it would seem, Together in life, the Bible says that he was a great man with his master. He was a loved individual. So he's not just a man doing a job, but he's somebody that is beloved by his master, the king of Syria, as well as other people. The Bible says he was honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He's a man of reputation. So what do you mean, preach? Well, everybody know who Naaman was. I mean, you might not have known him if you were in Israel, although if you were a soldier in Israel, you probably did know who Naaman was. But certainly Naaman was a man that when he would walk down the streets, people would cry out his name. They'd wave at him. If he walked into a busy place, no doubt men would separate and file away to make room for him. He is a man with great honor in his life. He is a man of reputation. Not only that, the Bible says he was a mighty man in valor. This was not all just foisted upon him because he was born with the right pedigree. It's not all just because he happened to be born into the right circumstances, but rather he has earned everything he has in life. But this one phrase at the end of verse number one, do you know what it does? It cancels out everything else that's said about him. It doesn't mean those things aren't true, but it simply means this. It just doesn't matter. All these things, he was captain of the host of the king of Syria, great man with his master, honorable. He had given deliverance to Syria. He was a mighty man in valor. But here's all that mattered about him. He was a leper. Can I say, you're going to have problems in life sometimes that are so big that whatever else that God has done in your life and whatever else that God is doing through your life is going to seem to pale, to shrink away in comparison. Now, I'll go ahead and say this to you tonight. Even though he was a leper We know he was more than that. He was all these things. If he had died by that leprosy, then all of those other things, they wouldn't have gone away. But don't you imagine that Naaman sometimes just wept in despair that for all of the victories he had won, there was a corruption in his body that he could not overcome. 
It defined the rest of his life and it sort of sucked the oxygen out of the room of his life and, and it became the only thing that mattered to him. I've had problems in my life. I've never been a leper, at least not that I'm aware of. And uh, you probably haven't either, but I've sure had problems that made me feel like one. Made it feel like that's all that mattered in my life. I, I remember, and I could tell you story after story. I won't take the time to do it, but sometimes we get a pretty high opinion of our problems. Sometimes we think everybody else is having as big a problem with our problems as we are with our problems. And that rarely is the case. But sometimes a problem can loom so large in your life that it just it defines everything. It's all you can think about. It's all you can talk about. It's all that you can see. It was a defining problem. Let me say number two. It was a devouring problem. Now, I'm not going to get into the medical terminology and the descriptions and all those things about leprosy. You can read good commentators and read all of those things. But suffice it to say, leprosy wasn't something that just went away on its own. It wasn't a disease and an illness that, if just ignored, would get better. It wasn't something that you just had a bout of. Brother, Brother Ken, I, got, I had a bad, my, my leprosy flared up, like allergies here in East Tennessee. Sometimes you'll wish you was a leper with these allergies in Tennessee, but, but it was a problem. It wasn't going to get better, man. It was going to keep getting worse. There are some problems we have in life that if we just stay faithful to God and wait it out, and just don't don't get don't get too jumpy on God. Some things will just pass. But you know, every once in a while, we'll have a problem in life. It ain't gonna get no better. If God doesn't do something, it's not gonna change. And God allows this at times to drive us to His feet and to drive us in faith to lean upon Him. This was a devouring problem in His life. It wasn't gonna go away. It was only gonna get worse. He needed the help of God. But then I would say this number three: it was a destroying problem. And you say, well, preacher, you already said that. Well, I don't just mean it's devouring him. I mean, it had the potential to destroy the lives of others. Interesting thing happens whenever, you know, the king of Syria, he sends a great gift and he sends a letter to the king of Israel. And the letter says, here is my captain of my host, Naaman. He's a great man. He's honorable. He has leprosy. Fix him. And it's funny how the king of Israel responds, but it's probably no different than you or I would have responded. In verse 7, came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? In other words, the king of Israel says, Hey, buddy, that's, that's above my pay grade. I don't have the ability to fix that. And then he makes what is very, really a rational conclusion and, 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 and thought. He says, wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. In other words, the king of Israel says, this could start a war between our two nations. I, I mean, this could be not that he really expects me to fix him of this leprosy because I can't do it and nobody can do it, but he's expecting me to do something impossible because when I don't do it, he's going to blame me for the fact that this man dies and he's going to seek a war against me. And I would say this, I wish all of our problems stayed nice and neat in the little places that we like to keep them. But you know, you're going to have problems in life that if God don't intervene, it's going to drag other people down too. It's going to destroy other people's lives. I've watched families go through it. I've watched marriages go through it. I've watched churches go through it. When a problem arises that is so large that it can't be ignored and it can't be dismissed, and it can actually, it's like it, it gains its own gravitational pull, and it's like it just sucks people in around it and can destroy their life as well. You say, Preacher, what, what does all this mean? What are you getting at? I'm saying this is a man that needs a miracle. This is a man that needs God. I mean, he doesn't just need, and he doesn't just need well wishes from people. He doesn't just need a phone call of encouragement. I'm not dismissing any of those things. He doesn't just mean someone to, 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 to call and say, hey, I'm here for you. I mean, that's good. Sometimes we need that. This is a man that needs God to intervene in a big 
way. We see Naaman seeking God's help. Well, what happens? The Bible says very clearly that when Elisha hears the king of Israel is, is, is despairing of this that he sends word. And I love the way, I love the way the Old Testament prophets spoke. I mean, I just, I love the way Elisha says. He says, what'd you tear your clothes for? You know, what'd you rend your, why are you upset? You just send him to me and God will heal him. And then everybody's going to know that there's a prophet in Israel. Man, I love that. And so they send, they do that very thing. They send Naaman to Elisha. And whenever he gets to Elisha, the Bible tells us that Elisha sends his servant out. It says in verse number 10, Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Now, wouldn't you think that a man like Naaman, when he learns that it's that simple, would be happy to accept that counsel? Wouldn't you think, here's a man dying of leprosy. And, and somebody that has, has traveled many a long and weary mile to get the help that he desperately needs. I mean, wouldn't you think he'd say, hey, Jordan River, great. Seven times, I'll, I'll dunk in nine times just to be, be safe. I mean, whatever you need. You want me to bring you a bucket of water? I mean, anything you need. I'll give you money. I'll do whatever. But the Bible tells us that instead, uh, Naaman is furious at the counsel and the advice that's given. I would say this. Number one, we see Naaman seeking God's help. Number two, here's what we see. We see Naaman spurning God's help. God offers to heal him. God offers to change his life, to rescue him. The biggest problem he's got, God says, you bring it to me. I'll fix it. I'm glad we have a big God. I'm glad we have a God bigger than our problems. I'm glad we have a God that no matter what we're facing, uh, whether it's big or whether it's small, God is adept at handling that problem. I've shared this with you before. Uh, I probably sound like a broken record, but one time they were asking the great Bible teacher G. Campbell Morgan uh, a series of questions, it was like a question and answer type thing. And uh, I don't do those because they just always devolve. We always wind up in the ditch somewhere. But 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 this was more spiritual crowd than us. So they were having question and answer time, and and they were asking questions. And uh, somebody somebody popped up and they said, uh, Doctor Morgan, do you think God cares about the small things in our life? And uh, that's a fair question, right? Should we pray about small things? Does God care about the small things in our life? And Dr. Morgan, he sat there and he thought for a moment and then he sat back and he said, well, let me answer your question with a question. What in your life would be big to God? That's never escaped. I mean, that's just fast. That just nailed itself to my soul when I read it. You know, there's nothing in our life that's big to God. So what in our life could ever be small to God? I mean, God is so far beyond in magnitude. The biggest problems you've got are small to God. And not small in his attention to them, not small in his care and empathy and compassion towards them, but small in regards to his power and his ability. I mean, there's nothing that God cannot handle. And and so Naaman comes and God says, well, yeah, I'll absolutely, I'll heal you. Here's what you do. You go down and you dunk in the River Jordan seven times. That'll fix your problem. And yet we find that it doesn't end with him rejoicing and, and leaping for joy and, and, and sprinting the rivers. Instead, he wants to storm away angry. How many times God has given us counsel and we've balked at it? What happened here? Why did this happen? Well, I would say there's three reasons. Notice number one, verse number 11. Naaman tells us, he tells us why he's mad. He says, but Naaman was wroth and went away and said, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me. Now, before we move any further, I think it's important to think about how Naaman approaches. The Bible says in verse number nine, so Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot. In other words, he comes as a royal procession and he stood at the door of the house of Elisha. He expected the 
red carpet to be rolled out, the bulbs to start flashing, the paparazzi to start swarming around. He expected for people to come out and wash his feet and his head and his hands and anoint his head with oil. And Elisha instead just says, uh, who's that? Uh, yeah, yeah, we got a three o'clock with him. Hey, go tell him, go Duncan Jordan, he'll be all right. And goes back to watching Gunsmoke or whatever he's doing. And this made Naaman angry, made him mad. You know why? You know what happened? His pride almost made him miss his miracle. Sometimes we get prideful. We want God to make a big to-do. We don't just want help, right? We, we want a pageant. We, we, we want God to prove to us how worthy and how important we are. I find this to be true. The more needy a person gets, the less picky they get. You really need help. Hey, listen, there's going to be times that God helping you, and this happens here in a moment in Naaman's life, there's going to be times that in God helping you, he's going to have to humble you. In fact, there's times that God has allowed you to hurt so that you'll seek help, really so that you can be humbled. Because the main help you need is the humbling that takes place in your life. But oftentimes we get angry with the Lord. We get prideful. We don't like the fact that we're being put through this. And Naaman says on top of all this, this peasant, this, this preacher is going to ask me to wait out here and not come out and show me how valuable and precious and important that I am. It's like he was raised in modern day T-ball or something. Somebody's got to clap for me. Hey, listen, you need help. You'll take help however God gives it. I would say, number one, his pride almost made him miss it. But then notice what he says here. He says, behold, I thought, and by the way, it don't matter, Naaman. It don't matter what you thought. Do you need help or don't you? It don't matter what you thought. That's why thinking just gets us in trouble half the time, don't it? I thought, well, it don't matter what you thought. He said, I thought he will surely come out to me. And then here's what I thought he'd do. He'll stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. In other words, he says, uh, not only is my pride upset, but my pretense is offended. In other words, he said this, I don't just want the result, I want the process to be acceptable to me. There's probably, and we got more message to preach, but there's probably no more apt and prevalent sticking point in our in our receiving of God's help than this right here. We don't just want God to help us. We have a detailed step-by-step list of how God should help us. And if God is unwilling to help us in that way, I'm sorry, God, you're going to have to find somebody else to help because I ain't nobody's doormat. You're either going to do it the way I want or I won't get help. That was Naaman's thinking. And can I say this? You're right. If you're expecting God to do it in your way, you probably ain't going to get no help. There's going to be times God's going to do things that you're not going to understand. I'm sure that Naaman probably sat there and thought to him, you know, it sounds like he had heard about Mount Carmel and he had heard about Elisha's predecessor, Elijah. He had heard about the altar being built, about the ditch being dug, about the water being poured out, about the great prayer that was prayed, about the fire falling from heaven. And all the way that he's riding there, I mean, he's thinking, oh, God's going to do this for me. But really, here's the question. Do you want help or don't you? What mattered more to him, the solution or the spectacle? Was it more about the process or was it more about the the power of God? Let me tell you something. If, if God's willing to help you, you've got to receive help however God's willing to help you. There's times it don't look the way you wish it looked. There's times it doesn't produce the things that you think it ought to produce. But here's the point where we really decide whether God knows what's best for us or not. Are we really willing to humble ourselves and say, now, Lord, this isn't how I asked for it. This isn't what I asked for. But, God, you know what's best. 
You're a loving God and a faithful God. So I'm going to trust you. So I would say his pride almost made him miss it. His pretense almost made him miss it. But then notice what he says in verse 12. It sounds like a Baptist. He was a Baptist. I'm convinced of it. He was a Baptist. Because listen to what he says. Are not Abana and Farpar? He said, preacher, is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. That's how I pronounce it. Abana, a banana, Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel. May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. I'd say it this way. His preference almost made him miss it. Why should I have to come down here and wash in this muddy Jordan River? And by the way, the Jordan River was notoriously muddy. And what a beautiful picture, by the way, that is of Calvary. Us being washed in the blood of Christ, which even though it is perfect and pure and innocent blood, he was made sin to be for us, uh, for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Aren't you glad that that innocent blood was made sin for us, that that perfect, innocent blood might flow spiritually through our veins, that we might be justified, that we might wash in that blood and be made clean and stand whole before God. But he looks down and he says, that old muddy river, I could have been back home washing in those better rivers. I don't know about you. You know why I think the Jordan River is better in this moment, in this time? Did you know in this moment, in this time, for this man, in this occasion, it healed his leprosy? Funny thing about it. He had probably splashed through the river banana and far par on the way out. And it hadn't healed him of his leprosy. But you see, that's how we think. You see, we we want things our way in our timing. And by the way, you cannot convince me. This is why things are Baptist. There's not an element of convenience for them. this as well. He's saying, I could have stayed home and got help. No, you couldn't have. If you could have, you would have got help at home. You came looking for help because help wasn't at home. You couldn't do it your way and get help because your ways would have made a mess of things. In fact, only the Lord's way is going to help you. But sometimes we get hung up on this thing, want God to do it our way, in our time, in our location, our our timetable. And that's that's a good way to miss your miracle. We see him spurning God's help. And then finally, and I'm done tonight, we see him securing God's help. He had a friend here in the form of a servant that was a dearer, more precious friend to him than anybody else in his life. You know why? Verse 13, his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father... If the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, wash and be clean. In other words, he had somebody that loved him enough to tell him the truth. To look him in his eye, the eyes of a man who was powerful, the eyes of a man who had authority, the eyes of a man who no doubt could have, could have asked for their head and he would have gotten it, but they loved him. And they looked him in the eye and they said, you know, you're being foolish. Here you stand at the cusp of God's help and, and you're, you're picking apart the way God's doing it instead of just receiving the help of God. How did he get help here? Well, I'd notice there's three things he did, and I'll be done tonight. Let me say, number one, if we're going to get God's help, we've got to be willing to hear the correction. I don't know about you, man. I know how I am. I know how my flesh is. And I have never been Naaman, but I can imagine being Naaman and standing there and a servant coming up here and saying this to me. I would have bowed up on it. I would have been mad. Who do you think you are? How dare you speak to me that way? I could have you killed. But can I say something for Naaman? Naaman listened. People that don't listen don't get help. In my life, when I haven't got help, it's been because I wouldn't listen to God. In my life, when I made the biggest messes, it's because I wouldn't listen to the Word of God. 
In my life, when I made the biggest messes, it's oftentimes when I wouldn't listen to the messenger of God because he was saying something I didn't like, I didn't want to hear, that ran crossways to how I wanted things to occur and to happen in my life. But you see, you need help bad enough, you'll be willing to hear the correction that God gives you. Let me say, we have the sweet Holy Ghost in the New Testament that wields the sword of the Spirit that, that rebukes us, that, 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 uh, that corrects us, that instructs us in righteousness. And if you want to get help, your number one step is to listen to Him. Listen to the Word of God and listen to Him as it's applied to your life. You've got to be willing to hear the correction. People that won't hear, they don't get help. I mean, it's just flat out. We know this with little kids, right? What's the first thing we try to teach kids to do is to listen. It's the first thing they unlearn. <laughs> try to teach them, listen, listen, listen. Why? Because whatever problems they got, they can probably be straightened out if they'll listen. And whatever problems they've got, if they won't listen, they will be debilitating in their life. Man, ain't no different for adults. We've got to be willing to hear the correction. Number two, we've got to be willing to humble our countenance. So not only did he listen, but you know what he said? He said, you know, you're right. I'm being foolish. I've been doing the wrong thing. I've had the wrong approach and I've had the wrong attitude about it. Man, let's just get right down and preach at adults. I've been preaching at kids all last week. I'm excited to preach at adults. You know what we don't want to do as adults? We don't want to humble ourselves. We loathe to admit that we're wrong. We don't want to say it. We don't want to admit it even to God in heaven who already knows. That's how prideful that we are. He had to say, you know, you're right. I, how how foolish, how, how dumb I've been. I've come all this way to look for help. I, imagine how many rivers he had splashed through between Syria and Elisha's doorstep. But now, because he's bowed up and got his pride up, he doesn't want to listen. And he admits, you know, I've been foolish. I could have got help sooner if I'd just listened to the Lord. And you know the third thing he did? Listen, verse 14. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. I'll tell you what us, uh, I'll tell you what us good Baptists would have done. We would have said, you know what? You're right. I was wrong. I'm going to go to Elisha. I'm going to apologize to him. I'm going to tell him I was wrong. I was foolish. I was silly. I shouldn't have done that. Then we would have turned right around and rode right past the River Jordan and never stopped and got the help in the first place. You know how we do that in our life? Uh, we, we allow the Holy Ghost to smite our heart, to convict us. We get up, we come down to an altar. We ask, Lord, you're right, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. God, you're right, this is where help comes from. Then we get up, we go right back to our pews, and we do not apply the truth of the Word of God. I would say it this way, we've got to hear the correction, we've got to humble our countenance, but number three, we've got to heed the commandments. All of that pageantry would have been just as useless as the pageantry that Naaman wanted Elisha to display if Naaman had not been willing to follow the commandment of God and go down to the River Jordan and to wash and be clean. And listen, all of the pageantry that we have and all, all the weeping and wailing, and, and it don't bother me. But listen, people get right with God. Uh, if you've got to cry to get right with God, hey, cry a river full. That don't bother me. But all that don't mean anything if we won't take the word of God and then apply it to our lives. You see, this is where the help comes from. The help comes from the Lord. That's what the psalmist said. I lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence my help cometh. My help cometh from the Lord. That's where your help comes from. And if you're going to have this, and I don't know that whatever, I use the term miracle, and, and I believe in a miracle-working God. Don't misunderstand me. I, I absolutely believe in one. But what God does in your life may not, by man's definition, constitute a miracle. may not be something that's a great outward show. Uh, I mean, God may not come out and strike his hand on the leprosy, your problem, and proclaim you to be clean. He may just say, hey, go down to the Word of God and wash and be clean. That may be all he commands you to do. 
But if you want help, you're going to heed what God's told you to do. If you're unwilling to, man, you can miss that miracle that you are in desperate need of. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. The altar's open. And uh, here's the first thing you need to do. You've got to be willing to hear the, the correction. You've got to be willing to hear it. You've got to be willing to hear it. And then you've got to be willing to humble yourself. Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. Lord, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have gone this direction. Lord, that decision we made was wrong. We didn't pray enough about it. We didn't think enough about it. Lord, I need your help. We've got to be willing to humble our countenance. And then we've got to be willing to apply the word of God to heed his commandments. So the first step is this. Won't you humble? And why don't you hear? And why don't you come to him and ask him for forgiveness? Ask him for help. Ask him for direction in your life. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.